Welcome to MediaPost's Brand Insider. I'm your host, Steve Smith, Editorial Director of Events here at MediaPost. Each week, we interview marketing leaders from companies old and new about how they build and evolve their brands on an unpredictable media and culture terrain. In addition to this full audio interview in podcast form, we also publish a companion newsletter with highlights from the Q&A. MediaPost has been covering marketing and media news for over 20 years. You can find the Brand Insider Weekly as well as our daily coverage at MediaPost.com. Now, let's get into it. Let's welcome to Brand Insider, Matt Garella. He's the chief brand officer of The Ugly Company. Ugly is a dried fruit snack company with a twist. It addresses the food waste problem by upcycling produce like cherries, peaches, and apricots that might have been discarded simply for cosmetic reasons, hence ugly fruit. They're available direct, but also have distribution in Sprouts and Select REI Whole Foods and soon in some Kroger Banners brands. While Matt's had a range of experience in marketing, his roots are in the food supply chain itself. He grew up on a vineyard in Fowler, California, where his family has supplied Sunmade with raisins for 50 years. But he uh, spent several years also marketing at Gallo before getting ugly. Uh, welcome, Matt. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me. So as a CPG, obviously, you're building brand with consumers as you're also marketing into wholesale. So let's take the consumer side first. You lean into the ugly concept in a fruit category that typically sells its freshness on looks. What have you learned about taking that sort of playful, self-deprecating approach to brand building? What, what's most appealing to consumers? Is it the sort of the wry irony of enjoying ugly food or feeling like they're addressing food waste? What have you learned so far about taking this, this line and approach to your brand? Yeah, you know, um... We've really found that a lot of consumers react very positively to it. There's there's a select group of consumers that that see the name ugly and are, and are turned off by it. But I'd say the vast majority of people get a chuckle, smile, are, are intrigued by it because you like as you mentioned, it really hasn't been done in a big way before. Really, really embracing this concept of ugly. So we find that people are curious. They want to know more about our brand, which really sets us up to tell our brand story in a meaningful way. So give us a, just the, the thumbnail of ugly, uh, of ugly Company and Ugly Fruit and just the basic concept and what you're selling that's different from others, just so, we, so everyone really understands what we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, our company is here in the Central Valley of California, where really a large percentage of the, the fruit and nuts um, for the nation are produced, right? And so our founder really saw this issue happening where we're dumping out all this fruit and it's perfectly edible, delicious fruit. As you mentioned, a lot of it's for cosmetic reasons. Some of it's for market conditions that's perfectly good fruit. They just don't have any more customers to sell it to, right? And so our angle on it is let's take fruit that obviously is ugly, find a new home for it, but doing it with fruits that people haven't really done it with before, right? With peaches, with cherries, with apricots, like you mentioned, with kiwis, which is a really interesting one that we have, and with white nectarines, and really create this market for this fruit that really hasn't been done before uh, because the complexity of taking the pit out of the product. Um, and because of that, a lot of uh, producers haven't approached these fruits in a meaningful way. So bringing these fruits, a lot of them very popular in the fresh category, but you know, um, taking a different twist on it, and obviously um, utilizing that ugly fruit that we talked about. And they're they're uh, they're dried. Most of them, I think, the ones that I've seen are are sort of dried, diced, and um, and and bagged. Correct. Yeah, we uh, we source all of our fruit from right here in the Central Valley. Uh, the packing house is where the fruit is sorted out, where they you know kind of dub the ones that are ugly. 
Truckloads will take those and dump them out. Instead, we stop them. We take the fruit ourselves and then we process it, um, slice it up, dry it. Um, and then we are now we're going to be going into sliced product as well. So that's uh, hot off the press. In two weeks, we're going to be in stores with our new sliced product, which is really exciting for us. Or we have the dice product, like you mentioned, where we dice it up after it's been dried and put it in bags. And those are great for putting it in your yogurts, putting it in your oatmeal, adding it to a granola mix. So we're going to have multiple lines of product um, now moving forward. So, uh, so given that, given the backstory on on how it's produced, why why it's produced this way, I, I'm curious about the packaging because I spent a little time looking at your packaging. Um, it's very colorful, uh, but it's also uh, I, I uh, cut two things stuck out for me: no pictures of the product itself, not even idealized images of fruit, let alone what the actual product looks like, and also not a lot of text and explanation. So for a product like this, I guess my expectation would be you're going to need to educate people about what this thing really is, and you're going to need to show them. Uh, but you've decided not to do that. And I'm, I want to pick at that a little bit and figure out you had to be thinking about this. And I'm curious what the thinking process was behind it. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll give you the original thought process, but then I'll also say um, it's it's almost like you work at the other company yourself because I actually have, our, I, I, you probably won't be able to see this, but uh, we are revealing our new packaging here in a couple of weeks that touches on some of the things that you just mentioned. We have illustration of the fruit now. We're telling our story in a more personalized way through the eyes of our founder. We're going to have a QR code where people can learn more information about the story because we know it's hard to tell the full story just on the packaging itself. So we identified that as an area of improvement ourselves in that mm -hmm. you know people saw the word ugly. They were really intrigued by it. Then we didn't have as much explanation on the package as we knew we needed. People didn't know exactly that it was a dried fruit. They didn't know fully about the ugly concept or the the. Uh, a creation of the brand, right? So we've kind of addressed some of those things. We added a window onto the product so people can see the fruit. So we're really excited about these changes that are hitting market here this month um, and, and helping educate the consumer on, on what the brand really is. But to, to back up and talk, you know, to answer your question about what the original thought was, it really was meant to be one simple. So I think, you know, we've seen brands go awry when they do a little bit too much on the packages, too much information, hard to kind of digest it all. And it doesn't stand out as well. And so there was really an intentional thought behind how do we make ugly look beautiful, right? So that's a big part of it too, is making a beautiful kind of artistic looking packaging, right? If you look at our current packaging, it's simplistic, it's modern, it feels almost like a piece of art. And that's kind of what we we're going for is this dichotomy, this uh, juxtaposition of ugly and beautiful and how that kind of creates this interest from the consumer as you approach the brand and look at it. And so uh, we we wanted to really preserve that feel to it, right? That's what has kind of defined the brand to the, to now. So in this packaging project, there was really that, that was the tricky part of like, how do we preserve what we've done well and what defines some of the brand characteristics, but then enhance some of the pieces that we felt weren't being done well enough to really educate the consumer on, on what the brand was and, and why they should, uh, you know, partake in, in the brand and, and be a part of it. Interesting. Uh, so there, here, here I thought that I was on, here I thought that I was sort of onto a really cagey way of marketing. And it turns out that you've all decided to take whatever my impressions were and you've already implemented <laughs> the changes. Um, yeah. Yeah. How much, how much of the business is D2C versus wholesale now? Yeah, we do about 25 to 30% D2C. That's uh, through our own website. Uh, you can go to uglyco.com. 
and, and purchase directly from us. We also go through some third parties. You know, a lot of people are familiar with Imperfect Foods and Misfits mm -hmm. Markets. Some people will uh, approach us and say, hey, how are you competing with them? Well, you know, are they a big player that how are you kind of matching their competition level? I, I always say, hey, they're a big customer of ours. We sell to them. They're a big partner to us. Uh, we, we think that they're doing a great job helping push the the upcycled movement forward, right? And mm -hmm. highlight uh, the benefits of, of eating ugly fruit. So they're actually a great partner of ours. So most of our business uh, on the D2C side goes through them. And then the other 70% is through uh, those retailers that you described earlier. And uh, you, you, when you were recently at our own CPG Brand Insider Summit, uh, you spoke out of this, um, uh, this part of the model. How much have you spent on media so far? Less than $10,000. Okay. So, now you build a brand that's in some major retailers already about to launch into an even bigger retailer. I heard about you even before I, we, we, we connected. So I had heard, and, and I think I'd seen you at Sprout, seen your product at Sprouts. How did you build a brand and some degree of recognition uh, without any media spend? Yeah, I think a big part of it's been, been storytelling. Uh, you know, our founder and how he came to this concept and living it as a fourth generation farmer and, you know, really just seeing a problem firsthand and tackling it, right? Where we've, we've heard of, you know, everybody's heard of these startups that kind of, somebody was a KG entrepreneur looking for a problem to solve so that they can build this brand and sell it off, right? That's very different from who we are. We, we saw this problem, we've lived this problem firsthand and we wanted to find a solution for it. And we want to bring something to the Central Valley that we can all be really proud of and in, in helping prevent food waste, right? So I think mm -hmm. telling that story in, in a multitude of different ways, whether it be through our website, whether it be through our social media channels, and but really channeling that to retailers as well as we've had meetings with them and talking them through how we came to this, why this product, um, you know, is, is different from others. Like we talked about before with the different fruits, like we've talked about, we haven't really talked about, but it's single ingredient. It's literally just the fruit in the bag. We don't add any additives, preservatives, no added sugar, and people are looking for better for you snacks. Right. So I think from an overall marketing standpoint, it's really just been word of mouth. It's been telling our story and people resonate with the story. And I love the idea and that just helps them to spread the word even more. So there really hasn't been, a, like you mentioned, a ton of spend against it. But it, it's it's really interesting to watch how a brand with a strong story can really start to, to make waves around the marketplace. Uh, I want to move into that uh, that wholesale relationship now because the um, the wholesale retail market are not known for their tree hugging. Uh, so uh, as, so so uh, meaningful branding isn't necessarily that meaningful um, to retailers who are looking at the bottom line. I'm curious as you were talking about them, and I know you can tell a little bit of the backstory about the ways you sort of edged your way into retail um, by you know your your team essentially going into individual stores and selling selling the idea. I'm curious what resonates for them. Uh, I mean, they've got a lot of different choices, a lot of different healthy choices out there, a lot of D2Cs that are moving into retail with a lot of messaging. Um, what really was resonating what works when you sit down with, uh, with retailers to get onto shelves? Yeah. Yeah, I think there's really two major things. One is they're they're feeling a lot of pressure from consumers uh, to react and to find solutions to food waste. Uh, you know, the, the problem of food waste around the United States is becoming more and more of a known fact. 30 to 40% of our food supply is thrown out, which is a staggering number when you think about the amount of people that we have, the amount of people that are facing hunger in this country. 
it's a huge problem, right? And it just makes sense from a sustainability standpoint. If we can just use more of the food that we have, we won't have to produce as much food. We'll have a lesser impact on the environment, right? And so a lot of consumers target the retailer as somebody, hey, they're, they're where we're buying our food. They should be some of the people that are coming up solu with solutions to this food waste problem. So they're feeling it from their consumer base, right? And that, in a lot of ways, has forced them to, and whether it be from an altruistic standpoint or from being forced by the market to do it, to make some pretty big statements about their sustainability and food waste prevention goals, right? So we find uh, there's a lot of retailers that have pretty lofty stated goals, right? For, so for Kroger, it's zero hunger, zero waste, right? But this is kind of their mandate, their promise to address hunger and to prevent food waste, right? Well, what we've done is we've gone into those meetings and says, hey, we, we know you have this lofty sustainability goal and consumers are looking for you to find solutions to this, looking for you to be more sustainable. We can help be a partner for you to accomplish those goals. You know, every bag that we sell prevents some pound amount of food waste, right? And that and that mm -hmm. gets passed on to the to the retailer as well. So we say, hey, if you sell X amount of our packaging, that's going to equal call it 2 million pounds of food waste prevented. Then that, that gets them really excited about the opportunity to speak of, speak out about their sustainability goals and how they're pushing things forward. But then also they know that consumers are in the store looking for sustainable products, looking for products that are helping address the food waste issue. Uh, what kind of support are you getting from the retailers in terms of their, their marketing on your behalf? Not not a ton. Uh, the, the the CPG world is still um, a, a very dog eat dog world, right? And we have to pay to play in a lot of scenarios. I think the biggest way that um, we've received support is that the way we got into Kroger. So you mentioned the five Kroger banners that we're going into. We we won a uh, Go Fresh and Local competition last August uh, out of you know a, a couple thousand different brand applicants, mm -hmm. and. That, you know, uh, they're looking to try to be more in the innovative space to try to find brands, you know, that are first to market. Kroger's typically, they get, you know, brands after they've kind of made their success in the market and they're looking to get to more, um, you know, first to market brands, right? And so we won that competition largely because of our story and what we're, what we're doing and how we're helping with the Zero Hunger, Zero Waste uh, initiative that they had talked about. And uh, with, through that competition, we were able to get all these different types of support from them, right? One is a, a faster track to the stores, uh, you know, marketing on shelf help. You know, they're, they're helping with some like Catalina prints and different marketing initiatives on the shelf to help us stand out. Uh, it's it's uh, easier access to data, right? Some of the things that you, a typical CPG really struggles to get that partnership approach from the retailer, that has opened up some doors for us, for them to kind of be helping us along to be successful in their stores versus a lot of retailers that are obviously, as soon as you get in the store, you're on a ticking uh, clock to prove performance. And if you don't, you know, you, you won't be long for that store. So um, I, in general, it's not that retailers are necessarily offering us a ton of um, free handouts um, on some of the ways to be successful in the store. But in that case, in that competition, uh, that was a huge help for us. Uh, are you how are you measuring uh, the impact of being on store shelves and, and just for in terms of brand brand lift? Are you seeing other impacts um, from particular regions where you're available on shelves in your D2C business? I'm curious how you're measuring and, and evaluating the impact of that simply having presence on a store shelf. Yeah, you know, uh, it's interesting. I, I don't know if we've really dug into that and measured that on a specific level at this point. 
Um, we really haven't seen necessarily like a huge bump in our DDC DDC markets in places that we are we are showing up, right? So, and one of the challenges that we have is the further we get away from California, the less likely it is people know our story or familiar with our brand, right? And so mm-hmm. that is where you know as we are on the horizon of a new marketing plan and really starting to get the word out about us. It's like, how do we go into these markets that have no idea who we are and start to educate them about what we're doing? Uh, so we really haven't seen necessarily a huge bump in the D2C or, or how they've interacted. It's a very interesting concept that we, we should be looking into more, I'd say. Um, but I, th- I think this from a pure impact standpoint, it helps us get in front of people at all different parts of the country that, that maybe aren't familiar with us. And now the challenge is, okay, now how do we educate them on who we are? Again, taking it from that, Oh, I saw this ugly brand. What an interesting brand. What do they do? Maybe I'll try it once, right? To hey, I I see this ugly brand and I, I heard about them and I really like their story. I want to be I want to be a part of this uh, and and I want to be a, a a consumer of this brand. Do the economics of retail make sense for you guys? I mean, we get a lot of when we talk to a lot of CPGs. There have always been uh, there's always been a lot of complaining about the economics of retail, about free fulfillment, about simply the a range of marketing and co-marketing fees, uh, how much it eats into the into margins. Uh, do the ec- economics prove out, or do you have a model where they eventually prove out? It's a little bit of both. Uh... It's a, it, is, it is very challenging uh, to make it uh, the ends meet on margins uh, with all the different kind of cuts you take along the way, right? I mean, we face distributor fees, um, you know, stated, you know, required promos, required activations within the retailer. There's so many things that kind of add up to say, how much did we actually make at the end of this, right? Um, but it also depends retailer to retailer, right? I mean, some retailers um, we feel really good in that we have we have a, a great margin. They're getting their margin, but obviously that's floating up to a little bit of a higher price, right? So where we're challenged is when you get to kind of the everyday consumer type stores, um, you know, around us, it's kind of like it's Save Mart. You think about Walmart from a broader spectrum. That's where the margins start to get really compressed. And we have to make some trade-offs to say, hey, we want to be in Walmart. It's going to get us tremendous reach. It's a huge retailer that a lot of a lot of consumers are shopping at. But then there's the trade-off of we're really not making the kind of margin that we want to here. Mm-hmm. So it's challenging, um, but we're also have line of sight to helping improve our margins uh, through we're opening our own plants. So mm-hmm. one of the big challenges um, in this uh, in this kind of brand and in the ugly fruit industry, so to speak, is that there really hasn't been stated processing to accept this fruit and manufacture this fruit. But one of our big issues is that one of the first things that happens in the packing house is a sticker is put on the piece of fruit. Mm-hmm. And when we get it, now we have a sticker on it. Obviously, we can't process it that way, right? So we're going through by hand, taking off that sticker, and then obviously processing it after that, right? Well, we're building modern manufacturing specifically built to accept this type of fruit. We're going to be able to mm-hmm. automate taking that sticker off. We're going to be able to kind of take the different steps along the path that, for instance, you know, in the packing house and, and just in, in fresh fruit in general, they really rely on uniformity, right? Everything needs mm-hmm. to be the same size because they're going through a, a similar process. They want to pack it to the right weight in the boxes. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just not how it comes as ugly fruit, right? There's all different shapes and sizes and it's misshapen. It's it's deformed, whatever it may be, right? So 
We also have implemented processes in our line that can quickly and nimbly change sizing to, so we can still get a consistent product, but it's accounting for the different sizes of fruit that we're facing. So all of those different changes, one is it's going to help us create an even more quality product, but two, it's helping us with our efficiencies so that we can make it more economical as we're, uh, we're continuing to expand in our retail presence. Does this move beyond fruit? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the, when our founder started this company, um, he had over 200 ideas of what we could do with this fruit. It's all about preventing food waste and utilizing perfectly edible, delicious fruit, right? Mm -hmm. But it doesn't just have to be fruit, right? It could be vegetables, right? There could be, and it doesn't have to just be dried fruit, right? There's all different types of uses for, for this fruit that we can, that we're, we will uh, eventually move into, right? As we build our brand. I mean, dried fruit was the most logical place to start because it's the most fully formed category that people know. And we felt like we can bring a fresh perspective and a unique story to it and really um, make our way there. But the goal is once we've kind of established ourselves and people start to you know, relate us to ugly and all things mm -hmm. ugly fruit, that doesn't that doesn't pigeonhole us into a certain category within that. And so there's a lot of exciting places that, that we hope to go one day. So one of the things that we did with you uh, at the CPG Summit is we brought you in as a very early stage company that has spent virtually nothing on media, uh, unlike other people who were in the room. And we had you talk about some of this stuff with the eye towards brainstorming maybe with the brain trust of brands that were already there where you move forward now that you do have some funding, you just went through a successful funding round. And one of your one of the ideas is to take some of that funding and to put it into some media. Um, what's the plan now, either that you, you came into the summit with or have come out of the summit with in terms of where you think you're going to be investing and try and trying to invest in some media going forward? Yeah, yeah. It's a really exciting time for the company right now because, you know, for four years, we were bootstrapping, right? And being really nimble and scrappy and to doing whatever we could to make ends meet. But now that we have this infusion of uh, of cash from the, the funding round, mm -hmm. for the first time ever, we're going to have the opportunity to really build you know, a, a fully formed marketing plan, right? But at the end of the day, that's still a startup budget. It's still not a you know, Unilever, P&G type budget, right? So we still need to be very scrappy and nimble in, in how we use that money and look for opportunities in marketing that can, you know, amplify larger than the, the actual spend that we're, we're, we're making, right? So things like, you know, PR stunts, things like finding really um, kind of impactful influencers, uh, doing unique activations out of home that, that stand out and get coverage. It's trying to find ways to, you know, invest in something, but then hopefully see a bigger impact from that, right? Because we just know if we get into the media buying game, we could do it regionally, I think. And, and I think the money can go further than maybe I'm making it out to be. Mm -hmm. um, but once you get into the big media channels game, whether it be programmatic, you know, spending big on social media, you know, whatever that may be, it becomes, you know, a tough game to play for us as far as the amount of money that we can put into it mm -hmm. and to get to get the reach that we need to get to and the frequency that we need to get to it's just going to be a tough a tough exercise for us so the thought is let's move forward into these areas that hey you know it's a risk because if a pr stunt flops or out of home it, it doesn't generate as much interest as you know maybe we were hoping it would then that spend is it 
not wasted, but uh, it, it could be a flop, right? Versus, mm -hmm. but if it, it's really successful, we can have a much bigger impact and hopefully spread the word about the, uh, who we are. And we think that with our name and our story, um, there's a lot of fun stuff we can do, right? It just, just playing on ugly, uh, there's a lot of uh, interesting kind of angles that we could take to it. We've seen some some fascinating stories come through our our events in journalism just in the last couple of years with theodicies, um, some who have essentially built a brand on on just the right TikTok video. Um, yeah, took off with the right influencers and essentially they built a brand there. And uh, yeah, the possibilities for using that kind of amplification effect online are really stunning. Um, yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. Exciting times ahead. So, uh, Matt Gorella, uh, Chief Brand Officer at The Ugly Company, thank you so much for our uh, for your time. I hope we'll have you back at next year's CPG event to report in on how you've grown since then and where you start, where you did put some of these marketing ideas. Yeah, it's going to be really exciting to go full circle that uh, ideation phase to hopefully sharing some success stories next year. So, can't wait. Thanks for hitting play on Media Post's Brand Insider Podcast. We're here each week interviewing marketing executives from large and small, legacy and emerging brands. They share their experiences navigating the challenges of commercial clutter, media distraction, and consumer disinterest. You can also subscribe to the Brand Insider newsletter for edited text editions of these Q&As. For this and all of the marketing and media news reporting MediaPost has provided the industry for two decades, head over to MediaPost.com. And if you have any thoughts, comments, or suggestions for Brand Insider, you can always reach me, Steve Smith, at steve at mediapost.com. Until next week, let's market carefully out there.